This is the Plucked Chicken Podcast. Well, Pastor Kearns, we've had a, a really neat uh, couple of days here. We've gotten two of these in uh, three days. That's uh, sort of a record for us. And uh, we continue now with the study of the formula of Concord. And uh, for those who are wondering what the formula of Concord is, they can, of course, go back to the very first of our summer series and hear a little bit about that. Today, what we do is we turn our attention, after talking about the righteousness of faith before God, to the whole question of good works. Now, there are certainly people out there who have this idea that uh, Lutherans stand against good works. What's your uh, perspective on that sort of uh, objection to Lutheranism? You know, that's a, that's a very good question, and I wouldn't even know what I would say to that when thinking about, during my evangelical days, looking into Lutheranism. I guess we've talked about this before, about the setting aside good works. Good works in the evangelical, at least today's evangelical world, does not matter. So they don't talk about that it is a category. Is that what you're saying? Well, they've got a new category. Right. They, they eliminate that category of good works. And also, too, they have really no category for vocation in that you're actually serving God in your vocation. You've got to go out now and find this purpose, this purpose for why you exist and what you're going to do to change the world. And this becomes the, okay, you're saved, now what? This answers the now what question. Yeah. Yeah, and, and a lot of sermons, too, would you say, I mean, do these sermons feed into this uh, five steps toward being a better father, uh, ten steps toward whatever uh, yeah. is, is that is that very much in that vein absolutely it it is a part of the the church calendar of an evangelical church to spend however many weeks discovering what your true purpose actually is and unfortunately the scriptures unfortunately for the evangelicals the scriptures are very clear about what about what the the purposes of a christian life are right i mean this goes back to everything really in i want to say orthodox christianity in the mindset of the Orthodox Christian, everything is so mundane. You know, the sacraments are very mundane things. There's, They've got I mean, promises attached to them, but, you know, as you've said, what is it, uh, the piece of styrofoam that, that's right. bread and the cheap wine or, you know, right. whatever. Everything's mundane. Well, so is one's vocation. This is something the, the mother who is at home with her child, the father who goes every day to make donuts. I mean, this is... This is so mundane. We've got to have you kind of reaching higher than that. There's a reason for that, I think, right? It, it makes you, as you reach higher, as you have these aspirational goals, it makes you feel good. Whereas uh, the actual facts of Scripture are that uh, the Christian life, and I don't take this the wrong way, but the Christian life is a grind. It's, it's doing the same thing day in, day out, consistently. You can't sort of do a championship version of changing the baby's diapers. Just got to be changed every single day. But you know, what you just said is very much exactly what's depicted in the Bible. Let's just go Sunday school, right? I mean, the the Israelites in the desert for 40 years. Granted, that was a punishment for unbelief, but I'm sure every day, pretty much with the exception of the Sabbath, looked the same. Right. Get up in the morning, pick up your manna, don't take too much because otherwise it's going to stink. Go home, eat, same old, same old, same old. 
Yeah, and in in a way, that is a picture of it. Actually, is a picture of the the redeemed but fallen human being. Right, because we are waiting for the promised land. We're walking in that direction. We've been baptized through the Red Sea, but man, today looks a lot like yesterday did. Yep. And what do you think the rest of the faithful Israelites were doing on that day when uh, David was uh, standing before Goliath? <laughs> they were all pooing in their pants. No, they, they weren't even there. I mean, it's not like all Israel was there. They were back home hoeing their gardens. Oh, you're saying, yeah, oh, the yeah. uh, the folks that weren't soldiers. Exactly. Right, right. So the soldiers were pooing in their pants. <laughs> right. But everybody else, mom and dad and David's, da- David's father even, he's just yep, milking the goat, doing making what cheese, he does. making butter, sweeping up the house. It was just mundane stuff. Well, no wonder David wanted to go to the battlefield, right? It like <laughs> got him out of having to watch the sheep for a little while. Well, that's true. And that's a talk about a mundane thing. Yeah. Yeah. So there's this munda- mundanity to to the biblical view of, of, of what good works really are. In Lutheranism, early on, there was a, a dispute that arose because uh, Luther had so attacked good works as it was proclaimed by the Roman Catholic Church, uh, that certain confusions or certain, um, maybe people ran with his ideas a little bit too far in the wrong direction. So Luther's objection to the good works uh, as taught in the Roman Catholic Church were specifically this, that people were taught to rely upon what good they had done in this life as merits that counted before God for their salvation in heaven. This is a demonic teaching. And so Luther will oftentimes dismiss good works out of hand. When he's doing that, though, what he's doing is he's dismissing the Roman Catholic notion of good works out of hand and not good works themselves. So what would be the Roman Catholic notion of good works? This is an interesting thing. Uh, The Ten Commandments were kind of applicable to every Tom, Dick, and Harry. So you had to follow those. Um, But there was another level of good work, and and those were meritorious, right? At least what they did is they didn't give you demerits. If you didn't kill anybody, you were going to stay free of demerits, and so your sacramental grace could continue to rise. So just backing up, though, when one is baptized, original sin is completely done away with. Right. The guilt of original sin is done away with. Yep. And thus, from that point on, you begin the process of having, of really needing grace to be infused. Right. And you can get that in a couple of different ways. One is through the sacraments, and the other is through the good works that you do. So this is how you kept that, quote-unquote, level of grace full? Right. If you want to think— Sure. That's— a, this is a crass way of thinking about it. Uh, well, but, are you going to say something about the head being yeah, you popped got, open? Exactly, right? <laughs> you know, it's like you got a lid yeah. on top of your head, yeah. and uh, what you're trying to do is fill your whole body with as much grace as possible before you die. And if it's full when you die, in fact, if it's over, well, if, if it's full, you go straight to heaven. If it's overflowing, you go straight to heaven and other people can benefit from all the grace that you've got, the excess grace that you've got. But if it's low, then you got to spend some time in purgatory. And see, in purgatory, how does one fill that, uh, get that level higher? You would think that in 
purgatory, nothing's happening but being purged. Right. You're you're it, it's as if the vacuum left when you're not full of grace is filled by sin. And so as what you're doing in in purgatory is getting rid of all that sin and allowing the vacuum to be filled back up by by grace. That's that's the whole idea. This is works of penance, right? I mean, actual, you know, you, you merit grace by saying your Hail Marys as your penance. Or praying the rosary. Correct. So those are regarded as good works. And so the same thing would go for purgatorial penance. Uh, as you undergo that penance, you're engaged in works of merit that add to the jar of grace that you've got. So my neighbor who is devout Roman Catholic, has a sticker on the back of their car that says, pray the rosary. And the reason they're saying that is not for the benefit of humanity. It is for the earning of merit. To keep the level of infused grace high. Correct. As high as possible and overflowing if possible. So praying the rosary then would be something that clearly Luther was against as far as one receiving merit from doing so. Absolutely. Praying the rosary, doing our fathers as a penitential exercise. Lighting candles. Saying the Hail Mary. All these all these things are in and of themselves not wicked, as long as they're not Marian prayers or prayers to Mary. Um, they're good things. The Lord has commanded us to do them, but for different reasons from uh, meriting grace. So what the epitome does is it talks about the theological reasons behind our good works. Exactly. And and so this gets us back to where we sort of took this nice detour down to why Luther objected to good works. After he made those objections, uh, people ran with his ideas in, in directions that he hadn't foreseen them running. Uh, and there was a certain group of followers of Luther who were actually saying that good works were harmful for your salvation, on the one hand. Another group, in reaction to that perspective, were saying, no, 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 no. Uh, without good works, it's impossible to be saved. And they were connecting good works to salvation, uh, trying to avoid Roman Catholicism, uh, but, but messing up along the way. And, and they so, were saying it was necessary. They were saying it was necessary. And so we get some interesting uh, vocabulary that enters into this whole thing. Are good works necessary? It depends upon how you finish that sentence up. Are good works necessary uh, for the Christian life? The answer is yes. Are good works necessary for salvation? No. The answer is no. And so part of Article 4 spends time untangling what, the scriptures, and therefore Lutherans, mean by the necessity of good works. So as to not fall off on either side of that horse. Yeah, to depart from what the scriptures teach. So let's talk about the necessity of good works. And, and let's just put it out here right away for everybody. Lutherans, with the scriptures, believe, teach, and confess that good works are necessary. Good works are necessary. They m must come. Now, they must come in this sense. This is what Lutherans mean when they say that they must be there. They mean that if the sun rises, it must of necessity get warmer out. 
They mean that if you pour water on a floor, it must of necessity get wet. They mean that if you lose your hair, you must of necessity be called a bald man. They just happen. When the Lutherans talk about the necessity of salvation, they mean it like what Luther uh, says in one of his writings that is actually cited here in extenso in the formula of Concord, the Solid Declaration, uh, sections 10, 11, and 12. And, and uh, go, why don't you go ahead and read that? Before I read it, though, it's interesting how the writers of the Solid Declaration, I think we've said this before, but Luther's dead. And so what they're trying to do is they're trying to go back into Luther's writings and say, this is what Lutherans have always believed. This is, this is exactly what Luther was saying. And they go back to his previous writings, whether it be large catechism, small catechism, or in this case, what you're looking at is the preface to one of his commentaries to the Book of Romans. Correct. I think that's a good point, and, and you've made this point often, that good doctrine is only a repetition of good doctrine. It's not a rediscovery of, uh, or a discovery at all, of new good doctrine. This has always been there. And when they defend what Luther says, they're actually defending what the scriptures teach. Well, and what they'll do too is one can see this as they, they read through it. Not only will they go back to what Luther says, but they'll go back way before Luther and they'll quote Ambrose or Augustine. Uh, I think there's a section in here where uh, Augustine said, yeah, I believe this, but I was wrong. Right. Right. You know, right. You're, is yes, it I one do. of the I'm, earlier I'm, yep. uh, articles yep. where he says this? Where he retracts. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. So you asked uh, to read uh, number 10. For as Dr. Luther writes in the preface to St. Paul's epistle to the Romans, faith, however, now at, at this point we're quoting directly from Luther, faith, however, is a divine work in us that changes us and makes us to be born anew of God, John 1, 12 and 13. It kills the old Adam and makes us altogether different men in heart and spirit and mind and powers. It brings with it the Holy Spirit. Oh, it is a living, busy, active, mighty thing, this faith. It is impossible for it not to be doing good works incessantly. It does not ask whether good works are to be done, but before the question is asked, it has already done them, and is constantly doing them. Whoever does not do such good works, however, is an unbeliever. He gropes and looks around for faith and good works, but knows neither what faith is nor what good works are. Yet he talks and talks with many words about faith and good works. Faith is a living, daring confidence in God's grace, so sure and certain that the believer would stake his life on it a thousand times. This knowledge of and confidence in God's grace makes men glad and bold and happy in dealing with God and all creatures. All this is the work that the Holy Spirit performs in faith. Because of it, without compulsion, a person is ready and glad to do good to everyone, to serve everyone, to suffer everything out of love and praise to God who has shown him this grace. Thus it is impossible to separate works from faith, quite as impossible as to separate heat and light from fire. So that's where he talks about this whole notion of necessity, right? It's not a necessity of compulsion. Uh, It's a necessity of the nature of the thing. You're a Christian. You've been declared righteous by God, and you simply act righteously. Now, it's not perfect. We all know this. And the confessions make a big deal about this. This is only a start. One of the ways you can think about your life of good works is that it's practicing 
now to be what you will be in heaven then, which is perfect and sinless. Yeah, without sin or without the devil to tempt you. Yes, even even the desire, even the desire to to yeah, it's just a we can't even imagine what that's going to be like. No, and so it it really goes to this, and I and I'm pretty sure the article deals quite often with this imagery of the good tree producing good fruit. the The tree does not have to say produce apples if it's an apple tree. It 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 does it automatically. That's right. And uh, we're going to get onto this in a little bit here. An apple tree is a good tree. A uh, crab apple tree is a bad tree, let's just say. We want to eat, uh, in other words, the, f- the apple tree is desirable fruit. The crab apple gives undesirable fruit. God makes the tree an apple tree, and therefore it throws good fruit. Now, the interesting thing is that it does, an apple tree throws apples according to God's law. This is the way God has made it. And, and, and so there are kind of two things that you can draw from this. Number one, this is the necessity we're talking about. It just does what it does. But number two, it is according to God's law. And this is another question that rises uh, in this dispute over good works. What works are good works? Are they any works that I, like, I've got faith in Jesus, is it any work that I do through in, in faith in Jesus? If I go spit on somebody's car outside, does that count as a good work? No. No. The answer is no. Uh, if I treat uh, my wife poorly, is that a good work? No. No. So it's not any work done by the believer. It is works done of necessity, in other words, that simply follow from having faith, that are done according to God's holy law. And that's another huge thing. And that's going to enter into our discussion a little bit later on when we talk about the third use of the law, which comes up in a couple uh, articles later. Here, this is, this is how they define this. This is uh, um, Solid Declaration 4.16. The meaning of these expressions must be a necessity based on Christ's ordinance, command, and will, and based on our obligation, but not a necessity based on coercion. So there are a couple things in there, right? It automatically follows from faith that you're going to do good works. Those good works, to be good works, must not only follow from faith, but must also be according to God's holy will, as it's expressed in the scriptures and commands of God. But it's also not a coercion. It's not, it's not wrung out of you, like you know, a, a child throwing a tizzy uh, about going to church on Sunday morning and showing up and doing a sort of pro forma visit at church, but not from the heart. So this is what's interesting. When you said earlier, one must do good works, it sounds like law and it sounds like coercion, but there needs to be like a an asterisk at the end of that sentence, you know, that this automatically comes by faith and a good work must be defined as to what that is. Right. A a good work always has shape. Uh, It's not just whatever you do. It is shaped and informed by God's holy word and will right there in the scriptures, which is a beautiful thing. So as Christians in their zeal to do good works, want to do good works, 
the last thing they ought to do is listen to the evangelical preacher who tells them to find a purpose. And the first thing they ought to do is look to the scriptures and find out what works God counts as good. Okay, so so you went there. Uh, <laughs> I want you, I listened to a sermon a couple days ago, and uh, I just pulled out about four minutes from this pastor, and uh, I just want you to to hear it and if uh if you want to you don't have to wait until the four minutes are over if you get upset uh then by golly get upset all right take a listen and my concern today is that there are people here that maybe still don't know why you're here on earth and i want to help you walk out of this place today and go i know my purpose i know why i'm here and so i want to take us to ephesians chapter 210 to get a start on where we're going today as you discover your purpose and it says for we are god's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So God has prepared you before you were born, before like you were here on earth, he had you in mind. Before you were ever created, he knew your plan and he began to work a plan out for your life. He says that he is the... the um, the, the master craftsman, and you are his handiwork. Uh, so you're his workmanship. He has shaped you. He's created you to do good works. Listen, in life, it doesn't matter how long you live, but it matters how you live your life. And we want to live our life to make a difference. And so if you're taking notes, you can write this down. My purpose is to serve God. See, you have been created, and your job is to give glory back to God. You are to reflect his craftsmanship. You are to reflect the gifts and the talents. He has given you gifts and talents, and you give him glory by serving him and giving back to him and making a difference with your life. That gives him glory when you, when you take what he has given and you steward it and you do something great with your life. I think it makes God smile when you use your life for the kingdom. All right, I didn't think that we could get all the way through these clips here without... <laughs> and, you were, and you were right. <laughs> I mean, well, we both heard that. I mean, both of our eyes, you know, met. And uh, yeah, do something great with your life. Like, you've been talking here the last few moments about what define what is a good work. Man, what in the world does it mean to do something great with your life? And then... How many people in the Bible could we look to? I mean, only like a handful of people who actually, outside of Christ himself, of course, that did something great. And all of those who did something great did things within their vocation, uh, that their vocation had called them to. David didn't go out and say, hey, I'm going to do something great for the Lord. The reason he did it is because he was the Lord's anointed king, uh, the anointed king of Israel, and it was his calling to defeat Goliath, to unite uh, Israel, to um, you know take Jerusalem and hold it, and blah blah blah. Right? All of these things are all located in his vocation. This is saying make up your own vocation. This is really American self-made man stuff, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And just to you know put something else on there, you know Solomon was great. Uh, but he was great within his vocation. According just, to his vocation. Just as you said. Yep. This is damning. And I guess I hear these things now, and I feel the weight of it. Well, not only do I hear the error in it, 
but I also feel the weight of imagining what it's like for people to actually hear this. Mm. But here's the problem. Is this the opinion of the law in the sense that the people are hearing this and it resonates that they are supposed to be doing something great. Mm. Now, this church has not given itself to doing a lot of clapping, but if this same message was preached in many other places, I mean, there would be hoops and hollers. Right. Yeah, it must be. This is the old, the old Adam always wants to vaunt himself. Um, and uh, Christian Good Works, uh, I don't know if it's Luther or Melanchthon, um, talks about uh, the greater good, the far greater good works than the monks and, and everybody else can do would be a, a, a milkmaid uh, rocking uh, her baby to sleep um, and singing a lullaby. Why? Because it's a true work of service uh, to the neighbor um, that she's commanded by God to do as the mother or caretaker of the child. Yeah, I mean, this pastor, he starts out, well, I mean, I've got I've got a major problem with so many of these pastors that go straight to Ephesians 2.10. They skip over all the meat that Paul is writing there about our sinfulness before God and our need to be justified. Well, and isn't it, I mean, just to talk about this, you, you, you mentioned this while we were just talking as we were listening to the tape and this didn't get recorded, but to skip from created for good works to doing something great right. for the Lord. I yeah. mean, this is just... This the, he he doesn't allow the scriptures to define what works are good because the scriptures do. I mean, if you would have kept on reading, it would have said, "Husbands love your wives, right. wives submit to your husbands, slaves work as to your master as unto the Lord." I mean, the Bible is saying, "Hey, here's a good work. You're created to do these things. Here are these things," and it lists them out. What he does is he reads the scripture, closes the Bible, and then makes up this thing called purpose. Right. That is uh, really, really uh, frustrating and well, and, he's, and condemning. Damning. He's not done. Okay, let's let's hear more. Uh, seasons change, but my purpose remains. Seasons change, so you know your purpose never changes, but to serve God never changes. But your calling and the activity you may be a part of changes. Purpose doesn't change just because your vocation changes. Your purpose is not your job. Your purpose isn't your vocation. Your purpose is not your current or your future season of life. Your purpose, your purpose doesn't even retire. God's always got a place for you to serve and make a difference in the world. That's not horrible. It's, it's kind of like he's making some sort of recognition here. I, uh, but purpose, I mean, as long as he's connecting purpose to doing something great for the Lord... Um, that's, that's where the issue is going to lie. Um, you and I would agree with all he's saying about how our vocation changes over our lifetime and so on. And, and, and we would say it like, and you, you need to remain faithful to the Lord, right? Right. Remain faithful to the Lord and keep receiving what he gives you. Uh, don't, don't reject any of his gifts just because, uh, you know, you have to move away to a new town, get involved in a local church, get your get your kids involved in church, and make sure you're teaching them the faith. And in your daily life, live according to the Ten Commandments. Right. I mean, these are things that we would say, we just wouldn't say it like this. One of the things that I cut out, and, and now I'm kind of kicking myself, wishing I could go back and have you listen to this. This is all a big plug. This entire sermon is a plug to get them to come to a class in which they can discover their purpose. 
okay. <laughs> and it would be pretty easy from the pulpit to tell them what their purpose is, right? No, you've got to take an inventory. You've got to take right, a test. Gotcha. Right, And exactly. we got to do an inventory. But my point is, yeah. <laughs> uh, right, uh, it'd be like uh, open, your, open your hymn book to page 323. Uh, there you're going to find the Ten Commandments. What is the first commandment? Shall have no other gods before me. What does this mean? We should fear, love, and trust in God above all things. Read right through them and say, there you go, folks. There's your purpose. Don't have to come to class? Don't have to come to class. Don't have to take the test? Not even the test. <laughs> what well, about bring a number two pencil? <laughs> Not even that. All right. It gets really uh, gets really weird here. Okay. I can't and, wait. And I can't I'm, wait. I've saved, I've saved the best for last. And so here's my point today. Every Christian needs a ministry in church and a mission in the world. Every Christian needs to serve God in church and every Christian needs to serve the world with the gifts and talents he's given you and that's your that's your purpose in life serve the church serve the world that's your purpose it doesn't change amen church I want to lead you in a real quick prayer as I close today and I'm going to lead you in a real short prayer it's dear God in two words but if you pray these two words, it's the most dangerous prayer you'll ever pray. You want to pray the most dangerous prayer you've ever prayed? You're like, what is it? What is it the most dangerous prayer? Look on the screen. This is the most dangerous prayer. Dear God, use me. You pray that today and mean it. Tomorrow he's going to say, okay. And you're going to be, oh, but I am, I'm a student. And God's going to say, whatever. You're going to say, oh, I, I am a, uh, I, I, I work, you know, at the hospital. And God's going to go, whatever. Because it's not the whatever. It's your heart to serve God. Would you pray that prayer with me for this moment, dear God? Would you bow your heads? Dear God, now say it. You say it. Say, use me, God. Say, say Lord, would you? Use me tomorrow, God. God, I have a purpose tomorrow. God, I, I don't even think I understand everything. God says, whatever. Be available. I want to use you tomorrow. All right. So let's analyze what just took place there. We read the scriptures that speak of good works. Good works. Now, the Bible goes on to define what those good works are. However, we didn't talk about that. We go to this nebulous purpose out there, which speaks of serving God and making sure that whatever we do in the world is great, whatever that means. We've got to look for something to do outside of the Ten Commandments and... We have to ask God, apart from his word, to give direction on what those good works are. We become then the arbiter of whether God is leading me to do this, that, or the other thing. Is it great or little? Yes, all these questions, yep. And the sad thing is, a lot of the people, they're praying that prayer. They're going to do this. They don't see the desperation or the error at all. Yeah, can I add another complaint? Please. Um, 
you know, it doesn't matter if you're a student. It doesn't matter if you work at a hospital. There's a suggestion here that God is going to take, God's going to just say, whatever, right? So what, is he going to rip you out of your vocation? Uh, is, is the something great uh, a, a divorce from your present vocation so that you can go do something great? This is, this is dangerous. So that's what happens when you come unmoored. Uh, from untethered from the scriptures. The scriptures are very clear what a good work is and what a good work isn't. And, you know, it, it's really interesting. We just talked about just 10 minutes ago in catechesis, we were talking about the Matthew 25, where all the nations of the earth show up before the Son of Man on the Judgment Day, and he separates them into sheep and goats. And it's interesting that the the sheep don't, you know, he's, Jesus says, you've done all these things. And they're like, huh, we, we had no clue. And he says, to the goats, you didn't do any of these things. And they're saying, what do you mean we didn't do any of these things? We were doing great things for you, Lord. And this is leading these people right into goatism, which is a very, very dangerous and scary thing. Can I and just... those things are very mundane. You, you came and saw me when right. I was in the, uh, in the jail. You came and uh, visited me. You, you brought me water when I was thirsty. You clothed me when I was naked. I mean, these weren't, quote-unquote, as the preacher just said, great things. Right. They weren't. Not quorum mundo. Correct. Even though the world can approve of them and say, wonderful that you're taking care of, uh, you know, immigrants who have come across the su- southern border and don't have any clothes, right? Uh, yeah, but how many people are writing you up in the newspaper because you go and visit shut-ins? That's the thing, and I have no doubt. Lutherans are even sort of self-conscious about this. Uh, every uh, time there's a new Congress seated, you'll see uh, a count of the Lutherans in Congress. It's like, oh, are, do, do we count at all? Do we count? So there's a little bit of anxiety um, but when you look around and s- ask the question, what have the Lutherans uh, and what gr- accomplished and what great Lutheran is is out there? The answer is, hmm, I don't know. And here's the thing. Lutherans are just fine with that. They don't care. And if they do, to the extent that they do, it's a betrayal of their Lutheran heritage and, and of the scriptural teaching that good works are simply these everyday little things done according to God's commandments and in faith in Christ. And God looks at those things and he, it's like a, like a little three-year-old showing up with a scribbled in coloring book page and daddy just gushing over it. The Lord is very pleased with those things because they are worked in faith. Can I just read a passage from the uh, epitome, uh, or not, not the epitome, the solid declaration on that very question? This is a wonderful passage. Good works are acceptable for the sake of the Lord Christ through faith because the person is acceptable to God. There are works that apply to maintaining external discipline. These are also done by and required of unbelievers and unconverted. These works are commendable before the world and rewarded by God in this world with temporal blessings. Nevertheless, they do not come from true faith. Therefore, in God's sight, they are sins, that is, stained with sin, and are regarded by God as sins and impure because the corrupt nature and because the person is not reconciled with God. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor a diseased tree bear good fruit. And that's where we're going to stop that little passage there. So the little old lady who is not redeemed, not converted, 
lovely though she may be, and she gives money to the why, is that a good work? Yes. Before God? No. So it's a good work before the world. God actually rewards that good work in this life. I go into plenty of whys that have people's names everywhere as having uh, donated vast sums of money. Right. And the ones who are Christians, those are regarded as good works. The ones who are not Christians uh, are not regarded as good works, as as, as, uh, pleasing before God in heaven. This guy that we just listened to does nothing but create anxiety. He says you got to do something great, right? There is no anxiety in good works. Good works simply flow voluntarily, joyfully, out of faith. And part of what this faith says and knows is that these are pleasing to God because he is pleased with me as his child. It's like the little... Two-year-olds showing up with a scribbled sheet. Daddy's going to love it. Why? Because it came from me. Not because it's a, a wonderful uh, Mona Lisa. It's, it's a real beautiful teaching. It, it relaxes the Christian. And, and, and in that ease and space, it actually gives more room to good works, to truly good works. So what can we say in summary about good works? Well, I wrote a few things down. <laughs> I wrote this, and I don't think I don't think I could say anything better than what you just got through saying. That is absolutely fantastic, and that uh, good works actually comfort. They bring comfort. The knowledge of them and where they come from, and the source and how they come about, brings comfort to the conscience, as opposed to everybody who left out of this church this past Sunday, uh, actually burdened. I mean, even if they're going to do it and if they hoop and holler over it, they're still confused. There's still, there's unresolved uh, issues and questions. How great is great. Right. And then, you know, I can imagine anybody saying, dear God, use me, and sensing that they are coming up with something in their head. What about the Joe Blow that that gets nothing? I mean, it's flatlined. And I've... I think he said, if you pray this prayer and mean it. Oh, interesting. So he asked, so now Joe Blow has got to ask the question, maybe I I didn't mean it enough. Maybe I thought I meant it. Maybe God sees something in me that that reveals the fact that I didn't mean it. I mean, and my faith is not genuine (laughs) and and my standing before God is in question. Mm -hmm. Can you? No, it's horrifying. So the summary I wrote, says, good works certainly and without doubt follow true faith, if it is not a dead but living faith, just as fruit grows on a good tree. Good works are entirely excluded from the question about salvation. Good works do not maintain faith and salvation in us, but God's Spirit alone does this through faith. Good works are evidences of His presence and indwelling. Are we obligated to do good works? We are, if we have been born again and renewed by the Holy Spirit. Good works are a declaration of faith. It is God's will and clear command that believers should do good works. The Holy Spirit works this in believers, and God is pleased with good works for Christ's sake. He promises a glorious reward for good works in this life and the life to come. That's excellent. That hits it right on the head. This is the you know solid Lutheran teaching, and 
uh, the one, the only one thing I'd add, uh, and I don't think you dismissed it or anything, would simply be that good works are shaped by the Ten Commandments, the living according to the Ten Commandments in our station in life, and that is that is our vocation actually. And that uh, that statement right there, it it makes good works very very concrete very, very knowledgeable in one's head, if, if one knows the Ten Commandments. We don't have to pray a prayer. Use me. Yeah. Right. We, we know what to do. Right. The, an, the answer, uh, in fact, if you, were to, if you were to pray that prayer, the, the best thing to do would be to whip out your catechism and go over the Ten Commandments immediately. And that would be how the Lord is instructing you how, to, how he wants to use you that day. All right. So what is the next article then, Pastor Bross? The next article is a, one that Lutherans love to talk about. And it really intersects with what we are talking about today, about uh, law and gospel. Uh, what God does through uh, his word of law and what he does through his word of gospel. Um, and we certainly hope that uh, Pastor Kearns has pointed out many times on this podcast how a failure to distinguish between, between these two teachings of God uh, leads evangelicalism and American Christianity far uh, wide of the mark. This is a very important point. Yeah, and I would say, you know, even coming from my evangelical background you know when I read the first article of the solid declaration there was nothing in me that went what 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 is this what is what is this you know I mean I totally affirmed it when I got to free will the second article my first thought was thank you I've kind of always known this to be true but nobody has said it so clearly uh, in that our our wills are actually bound uh, so I was I was very excited when I got to the third article. I thought, of course, this this is how this comes about. This is how righteousness. We need the righteousness of another. What you know? What what is the big deal? Mm-hmm. When I got to the fourth one, as far as with good works, again there was some clarification, but uh, but not major. It wasn't like light bulbs. When I got to the fifth one, on the law and the gospel. And then the next one on the third use of the law. And then on the next one on the Holy Supper. This was, I mean, I had pushed out from uh, the breakers. You know, I was out into the deep water at this point. Uh, these were these were things that uh, I had never seen. I mean, anytime you grow up in a, a church that emphasizes evangelism, you know, what more do you need, you know? Right. Uh, really, you just need the first article and the third article. Sanctification is uh, in your fourth article, uh, but you never really see, and this is, you know, this is the way I was processing it, you never really see that these are the things. So here's the bad news, here's the good news, here's the result of the good news, and now you get into these next articles that we're going to get into, and this is how God nourishes you, and he keeps you in the faith. Yeah, yep. In a sense, the fifth article is, okay, you guys heard about everything before, this is how you preach it, right? Right. Uh, even the even the sixth article falls into that, right? Uh, what do we do? Does God's law actually have any instructive value for the Christian? The answer is absolutely yes. Uh, and then the nourishing of the faith in in the supper. Yeah. yeah, these were these were game changers for me. So I'm looking forward to uh, spending some time with you uh, as we go through them. I look forward to it as well. 
You've been listening to the Plucked Chicken Podcast with your hosts, Pastors John Bruss and Devin Kearns. To discover more, go to thepluckedchicken.com or stjohnlcmstopeka.org.